Hello and welcome once again to episode 11 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name once again is Dimitri and I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined today by my fellow completionists, Fernando. Hello, hello. And Ben. Hey, hey. So it's once again that time of year uh, for Apple events. Uh, not too long ago, we just did one of these episodes, but uh, it's the whole season apparently. Uh, and we figured we'd discuss some of the announcements from the high-speed event. Uh, so did you all know that the iPhone has 5G? I think he may have mentioned it once or twice. There was, <laughs> I actually saw like a supercut on Twitter earlier today of someone who... It was just all the 5Gs. All the 5Gs, yeah. And, and I got to probably like 40 5Gs and I stopped watching because it was just too much. I mean, I, I, I certainly felt that while watching it. Like, I, yeah. there was a 5G segment, yeah. and then they just kept on bringing home that it has 5G. It has 5G. It has yeah. 5G. It has 5G. Um, you weren't aware it has 5G. <laughs> so, this is, so for those that don't know, 5G is like the new uh, standard that's coming out for uh, wireless connectivity. Um, and it provides very fast speeds, speeds that you probably don't need. The example that they showed with like seven streams of video playing, that was seven streams of very small video. That could have happened perfectly fine on LTE, yeah. even crappy LTE. So I don't understand why they're pushing this 5G thing so, so much. I have a feeling carriers are very much involved in that decision. Yeah. Not to mention... Well, did you... Oh, go ahead. Uh, go, go, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Not, not to mention that uh, that not only do you not maybe not need it, but you probably won't get it. At least, so from the United States perspective, I looked, I looked this up. I wanted to kind of learn more about what is likely to happen. And I live in Florida, um, and I'm on Verizon. That's my carrier. Um, and they, for example, they announced at the event, the CEO of Verizon was on stage with Tim Cook, which I thought was very strange, but it is what it is. What it is. Uh, he announced that they were taking 5G nationwide and that all across the United States, uh, Verizon's they were turning on their 5G network for every single uh, Verizon customer, it's like over 200 million people or whatever, um, and that we all have 5G now, except what what he means by that asterisk is that the 5G network, sort of the general use of it or whatever is available, but the specific technology that makes really high speed possible, which is MM wave, is only available in 35 of those markets, cities, basically, um, and that they were going to, I think, advance to like 60 cities by the end of the year. So really what he meant by nationwide coverage was actually, well, 30 cities plus a few more by the end of the year. Um, and I actually yeah. watched a, an MKBHD video where he explained 5G. This is last year. And he actually drove to, I think it was like Rhode Island, which was the nearest place where there was a 5G tower. And he literally stood right next to the pole where the, the, the tower, little mini like cell was. And he tried out a brand new phone with 5G, an Android phone. And yeah, it got like close to two gigabits, I think, down, which is insane for a cell phone. But he actually went about 75 feet down the street and kind of just around the corner of a building that was right next to that tower. And the speeds dropped precipitously down to like 200 megs, which is still way faster in general than what you get with your phone today. But I think the sort of hype around like, oh, we're going to have gigabit speeds everywhere all the time permanently. It's the new normal. That is not only is that not true today, I don't think it's going to be true for probably years at this point. I agree. And you were saying, Dimitri, about the carriers. Uh, John Gruber posted uh, the uh, $30 price hike. Did you guys see that? Yeah. About the iPhone mm -hmm. mini, I guess. So, I mean, they, this this whole release was a little bit more carrier heavy yeah. than others. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like and the I days with, of like singular, like when they were like, the singular CEO. <laughs> yeah. And I wonder if that $30 is specific to the 5G hardware for the millimeter wave in the U.S. Because Europe is not getting that specific hardware. They're getting the general 5G, which is what AT&T and T-Mobile mm -hmm. and most other carriers have. Um, and it's only uh, Verizon that has the ultra-wideband, which is the very fine spectrum that does not pass through objects right. very well, including your hands. Like, I'm just waiting for another antenna gate uh, thing right. to start. It's like, I'm not getting my two gigabit speeds. Um, so I wonder if that $30 is specific to that hardware um, and if it's at all related to uh, the Qualcomm deals where uh, they need to price like an additional price on top of the existing price of the hardware 
uh, for the cellular connectivity. And it's like a percentage of the hardware rather than the other way around where it's just like a fixed component price. Like, I don't know if you've ever read into that and as to why iPads with cellular are for whatever reason, $130 more. Well, it's because of that percentage increase mm. from including that hardware as part of the licensing. So I it's wonder not if that's only the same that. deal. <laughs> well, right? no, it's, it's that plus <laughs> Apple's margins. But if Apple didn't need a charge anymore for it, they would probably just include it in everything for simplicity, no. right? If you have, I disagree. If you have I disagree. one board. Do you remember the, uh, the white and black MacBooks? The, yeah, the, yeah, MacBooks. the black was $100 more. Mm-hmm. Just the, because it was different black. plastic. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I see your point, and I think I agree mostly with it, Dimitri. Mm-hmm. But interesting that so, if you look at the phones, right? Like the, everybody's like, oh, what's this weird little like panel on the side mm-hmm. of the new iPhone? And people were thinking, oh, it's a pencil holder or it's a, who knows, um, touch ID sensor. It's actually just a, it's a radio window for the MM wave to be oh. able to get out of the case so that it can communicate mm-hmm. with the tower. And if you look at the European uh, iPhone 12s that are coming out, those, those product shots, it doesn't have that window. So like you said, Dimitri, it's not just that the radio is mm-hmm. not there. Because the radio is not there, they then literally changed the case design as well because they don't need that window. They can, and, Interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if they don't need it, they're not going to sort of uh, you know, make the phone look uglier by having a window that they don't need. So. so interestingly enough, that window goes right where my fleshy palm <laughs> just naturally sits. <laughs> so I, I wonder well it's gonna work yeah maybe you need to precariously hold your phone like this to get no to allow be true. it it's to get it for lefties that's what they did that's for me finally ah. something for me uh <laughs> it's for lefties. we'll give bumpers to everyone don't worry Dimitri. <laughs> yes. well no it won't pass through the bumper this time <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay uh. so as as far as things other than 5g if we actually go in order of the event uh we started with the home pod mini so, um, Fernando, you mentioned, I don't remember if it was online or offline, that you didn't want any smart devices in your home. Uh, what makes you think the HomePod Mini is a better, less smart device that is qualified? I mean, it does run Siri, so clearly it's a less smart device. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Siri can't even understand me when I'm trying to interact with her. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I don't think, I think I'm, this is, the, uh, this is the point where if I had said, I will eat my hat, before I get one one of those home pods, I would be right here with you guys with my hat already boiled and ready to go. Because <laughs> the price is just too good. I hate it, I, I, but I'm at least going to get one. It's very, it's very cute, and it's obviously going to have amazing sound. So, that, yeah, it's just me eating my words. Not, and, not, not much else. And Intercom also makes it, I think, interesting, right? If you have, if you have more than one, it does create kind of an interesting little, you know, value add there. And also the fact that it has, did they even publicly say if it had a U1 chip? I don't remember if that was just rumors uh, or if I don't think it. it has the S5. Is that right? Did I, am I getting that right? They, they did yeah. say that. Yeah. So it has Which that. does not na- naturally have a U1 because that was last mm-hmm. year's watch. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if uh, if they actually said anything. Because one thing we heard, right, was that it was going to maybe have uh, the U1 chip so that it could do things like uh, track you throughout your house carrying your phone around. Um, and then it could do things like if you walk into a room that has a HomePod, it knows that you're in that room and then it can like turn the lights on in that room, for example, with, with HomeKit. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a rumor. I, I don't think there was any sort of solid evidence in the presentation that shows that that's true. Because one feature that they that they brought up was that it can have uh, improved handoff, where basically mm-hmm. as you walk room to room, the sound will follow. Yeah. So I don't know so the answer if that's is yes. making use. The answer is yes. I just checked the, the tech specs, and they do have a an ultra-wideband chip that requires a U1-equipped iPhone for it to work. Nice. Okay. So I don't think they announced it, but they do have it in there. Okay, so that's that's clearly what's making that work because there was also a comparison table between the HomePod Classic 2018 edition. Uh, if you look at the URL, it's literally HomePod-2018, which feels old. <laughs> um, so they had a, a comparison table, and they didn't mention anything about the HomePod, about this feature at all, where you have this improved handoff where you can walk around uh, and the sound would follow. Um, so I was wondering, like, was that specific to the HomePod mini? Was that coming to the newer HomePod? Was that relying on the U1 chip? And I think since you did clarify that, uh, that it must be using that U1 chip. 
So I guess the question is, does that, how does that work with the HomePod, like classic? Does that one have? I guess. The chip. I guess or... you wouldn't get that feature. Right. Because it's it's I not agree. even on that table. So. I agree. Okay. So I guess if you're playing so, on a HomePod and then you walk into a room with a HomePod Mini, it would transfer. But then maybe if you go the other direction, back into the room that has the regular HomePod, it would just stay on the Mini because it wouldn't it wouldn't realize that you had mm -hmm. gotten close to the to the HomePod Classic. So I guess you need to get multiple HomePod Minis, Fernando. Yeah, ah, damn you, Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I've I literally heard people say like, "I'm going to get one for every room," which. I, that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. Like it's crazy, but that's what I'm thinking. I, I just moved at the total 180. Like yeah. you guys would get whiplash if you were uh, in the car with me. Well, I have friends who have um, various kinds of, of Amazon smart devices, and and they so like you know the bigger ones, and the, and then they make those little tiny ones that are much cheaper. And they're like, I'll just put one in every room. Put one in the bathroom. Put one in the shower. Put one in, in the living room, in the bedroom. Like you just have them everywhere. Yeah. And then they can just sort of shout at the nearest lady in a can, and she'll just respond and. And, and do what I mean, you ask. Janet, that, that's, that's what I actually have set up with the regular HomePod. So in each of our main rooms where we have like HomeKit lights installed, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we have a HomePod just so that way we can say, mm -hmm. uh, hey, turn on the lights. Uh, and it would turn on the lights in that room. Um, now, a ironic side effect of this is if the HomePod is not the thing that hears you, if it's like your AirPods or if it's your watch or phone or iPad, it has right. no clue what room you're in. So it's like, oh, let me turn on the lights for you which is lights throughout the house. Oh. Um, so uh, I haven't seen that. I, I Like that still happens, especially when you have HomePod, uh, AirPods in. Um, but the fact that there is now a HomePod mini like makes me feel like, oh, maybe it's okay if I just stick more of these in other mm -hmm. rooms, like the bathroom, for instance. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, like, would you, you're already be, a fan. like stupid to have a HomePod in there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you're already a fan. What, what about you, Dimitri? Are you going to get... A few minutes. So not immediately, but I, I am looking forward to once I finally add HomeKit support to the lights in my bathrooms, mm -hmm. for instance, then to just <laughs> nice. stick a mini on top of the mirror or something right. away from moisture because I don't feel like that's safe. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they did. Siri, I don't Siri think electrocuted me. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's an integration you don't want. Um, they did also announce that – I don't think they announced it maybe during the keynote, but we did find out that uh, you can do a stereo pair with them, just like you can with the, the full-size HomePod. So you, yeah. you will be able yeah. to do that. You can also pair it with an Apple TV so that if you want to use the speakers as kind of your TV speakers, you can do that. Um, uh, and and so it seems like in, from that perspective, there's, there's not much difference if you're going to use it in kind of in that use case from the, uh, the big HomePod other than that. This one is, they're going to be smaller, so they're not going to maybe quite have the same, like, audio presence in the room, um, but that they are, and there are there are literally fewer speakers in the mini than there are in the big one. Um, but other than yeah, that, just three, right? Yeah. But other than that, it seems like the functionality is pretty similar. Um, that said, the like, this wasn't announced or anything, but it was made available on their website. The HomePod is actually getting an update that the HomePod mini will not get, uh, and that is spatial audio via Dolby um atmos so because oh. it has those seven speakers when you have a pair of them connected to an apple tv they mm. will now be able to use those speakers independently to give spatial sound uh and not only that in ios 14.2 i think there's a new setting to permanently set a homepod's pair as the speakers for an apple tv so you no longer have to like manually set it which is currently nice. what you would need to do every time it forgets it um, so I think that bundled with each other will make the home pods, like the, the classic one, the de facto like speaker that you can get for your Apple TV to really elevate the experience. Right. Yeah. They mentioned Love something that. about like home theater mode, which they didn't, they didn't yeah, really expand that's upon exactly at all, that. but I guess it's that, mm -hmm. right? That's what it is. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay, so other than the HomePods, uh, we got plenty more announcements. There was the AirTags, there was the new Apple TV 8K, <laughs> uh, and there was none of that. So, like, we, we kind of just got the HomePod, and we just got an iPhone. So that was it for this year. I mean, there's nothing else new, right? I mean, the, the iPhone itself, I feel like, is a pretty, pretty meaty topic. But, but yeah, it, it was definitely the case that uh, I think... Had those other rumors not been quite as persistent, I think maybe people would have been generally a little bit more excited about the iPhone announcements that were made. It does feel very, 
I don't know about you guys, but it, from from my experience of you know kind of seeing other people talk about this on places like Twitter, um, it seems very kind of hot and cold about whether people liked this this set of announcements and these devices that were announced and stuff or not. And it seems like some people are super jazzed and re- and really excited about it and, and anticipating you know eagerly anticipating re- receiving their new phones. And some of the people are like, "Nah, I'm not even going to upgrade. Like it's not even that exciting." Uh, so it's interesting. That is always true, I think, to a degree. But it seems stronger this year. Like that that polarization seems stronger. Definitely. I don't know if I agree. Yeah. Like I I, I think it's more like every single year it's like <laughs> again they they yeah. barely did anything new. I'm not gonna upgrade. I have my trusty 4G phone here. <laughs> Because I hate 5G. Like, who wants 5G? And then the next year is like, oh, yeah, I love 5G. I've always loved 5G. Mm-hmm. Basically, a bunch of Fernandos. About. <laughs> I, I have 5GE right now. Like, I don't need new it's 5G, good, right? right? There's 5GE on my phone. I heard that it's just as good. <laughs> for, those yeah. that, for those that don't know, 5GE is a, is a silly marketing thing that AT&T did in the United States where, they, oh, where they, right. it's 5G evolution. And uh, I guess the E means that they can lie. I don't know. Uh, but essentially, they, they change a bunch of people's little uh, carrier signals on their phones to say 5GE on it to give you the impression that they've just, like, magically upgraded your phone to have 5G all of a sudden. It's not true. It's just a change. They get to control what that little thing says, and they changed it, um, and it's just LTE. There's really no difference in what you're actually getting as far as quality or speed. They just change it because they can, I guess. I don't know. Do either of you remember that P-Cell thing that came out that was, like, announced a few years ago? I believe uh, one of the, like, senior uh, VP uh, software people at Apple, like, went and joined it. That's why, like, the Apple Sphere Hmm. knew about it. Do you know about P-Cell? I don't remember that at all. Okay, so P-Cell was a technology where uh, it would use beamforming from the antennas Mm-hmm. to like make a private cellular network for your phone that was accurately positioned exactly where your phone was. Wow. So you get an uninterrupted connection essentially right. that doesn't have any anyone else on it. Um and they did this by putting essentially an antenna every few feet mm-hmm. uh and you just wire the place with antennas right. and then they're going to use beamforming between them to individually address like individual devices in space. Um and the way this worked, it didn't use any special hardware. It was capable of using Wi-Fi, LTE, any traditional radio, basically. Uh, and it would directly find where the device is. And I looked it up, and it's apparently still, like, it's a real thing now. Like, you can buy the antennas and wire up your building for it. And, like, LTE, when it came out, it promised very good speeds for mm-hmm. the most part. Like, there's, I really don't see why we need to jump onto 5G uh, so much uh, when we can get more out of the existing technology that we have. But I guess I should look forward to it because as once everyone goes onto 5G, you can turn off 5G on your phone and LTE would be like fantastic. <laughs> yeah. The same way 3G currently is, right? <laughs> right? You just turn off LTE when you have like no signal. It says four bars, but can't connect to anything. Turn it off and then use 3G and you can all of a sudden use data, call people, and yeah. et cetera. Interestingly, the, the MM wave stuff um, that MKBHD talked about in his video uh, is very similar in the sense that basically because it doesn't penetrate v- very far at all, um, distance-wise, uh, or you know through buildings or whatever, um, the idea basically is to just blanket the city with tons of these sort of like... So the tower that he was standing under was actually just sort of some equipment at the top of a telephone pole, rather than being like a gigantic tower like mm. you see with the 4g towers mm-hmm. so the idea is much smaller sort of installations but just a lot more of them um and then the other i guess advantage to this mm wave thing is that it has the ability to control the receiver the phone in a way to sort of let it very quickly jump between towers um and so again mm. if you have a ton of them and they're really close together and it just you blanketed the whole city with towers with these little mini towers and your phone can switch really quickly, then to you, the experience is fairly seamless. Like it just sort of, you just jump from tower to tower and you've got nice fast speeds and stuff. But the problem is you have to, you know, blanket a whole city with equipment. And it's clearly that is something that even though it sounds like Verizon is excited about that in the United States, they haven't done, it's hard to do because they only have 35 cities in the whole country that even have this technology installed yeah. to a sufficient degree. So it's like, why are we talking about this now when it sounds like 
really to get it to be actually good, it's going to take what three, five, six years before they've put enough of those mini towers up to make a difference. Yeah, that's a good point. That said, I feel like we've used as much of our episode talking about 5G as Apple <laughs> used for their keynote. Uh, so let's get into the other new features of the iPhone, which is uh, like every year, new cameras. Right. Anyone excited for Dolby Vision recording at 4K60? If you no. get the no, just me. The Max, right? Is it just a, the Max or is it on the both? Pro? The Pro, okay. The, the Pro, pro. Mm-hmm. and and the non-Pros get 4K30 Dolby Vision recording. Right. And and officially which, the first cameras ever in the world to record in Dolby Vision, which is pretty cool. Yeah, right. so uh, actual film industry cameras, they don't record in any sort of format. It's just raw output um, from the sensor, essentially. And then you process Ooh. that uh, separately. Now, the camera can give you processed output, but it's just for viewing. Like, you connect a monitor to it so you can see what the camera sees. Right. Um, that's all it's used for. Otherwise, it will time. just copy what the sensor sees onto a frame buffer, onto an SSD, and that is how modern uh, film cameras work. Um, and now one uh, benefit that a real camera has as opposed to our phone cameras uh, is they have a huge amount of degree in terms of what kind of light capture they have. So they're capturing the darkest areas and the brightest areas, and they're not clipping. Um, whereas on the phone... You have to make a judgment at filming time where you want that window to be, and you can't really change it after the fact. That said, the quality that you're getting out of the phone, like what you see is what you get pretty much, is high quality. Like yeah. you are getting a significantly higher quality than most like professional cameras that don't cost $100,000. Um, and the fact that it can go ahead and process directly in Dolby Vision is to say amazing like most movies you record in 6k or 8k uh and then you process everything in 2k and then you literally stretch the movie up to 4k you don't even use Mm. the original assets that were used in the filming um so if people are just using their phone to film at 4k even 24 30 60 whatever um i think that is going to like really push how movies are made uh especially since the camera is only this big, right? Like it's a teensy tiny little That's thing. Insane. You can have yeah. as many of them as you need. Uh, you're not processing a whole bunch of raw footage that takes petabytes for like each production. Right. I think that is really going to change things. That said, you need to make decisions at filming time. Like you used to need to with film, right? right. You needed to commit. This is what you're going to get. You can't change it afterwards. Right. Um, and I think that's the one downside. But I bet that's in some ways made uh, filmmakers a little bit like lazy, right? When they just like, let me just have it just collect all the bits possible and I'll just make all my choices later. Then it mm-hmm. allows you to be potentially a little bit less intentional with what you're doing. Whereas if you have to make it, it gives more creative freedoms. Uh, it's sure. not lazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, both, right? I think both can be true. Like it is true that probably it gives you more freedom, but it also is true that it can, in an undisciplined way can make you lazy. Um, so uh, interesting. And I think what's really cool is somebody who was a complete film nerd pretty much for all of middle school and all of high school. That was that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to become a film director. And then I became an adult and realized that I wanted to, you know, like not eat ramen for the rest of my life. So I decided to get, get a job <laughs> that had a higher chance of, of you know, being, uh, you know, lucrative or whatever. Not that you can't be rich and famous for, for being a film director, but it's just a lot harder. Um, but what I'm the, the point here is like if if I was – 15 right now and and i could i could convince my parents to you know either buy me or let me buy with my own hard-earned money working at mcdonald's like a new you know pro max uh iphone that could record in 4k 60 dolby vision imagine the 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 stuff that i could create as an amateur filmmaker that just you know in 2000 2000 when i was in high school was like impossible it, totally out of impossible. your reach yeah, totally mm-hmm. impossible right mm-hmm. so so pretty amazing kind of the democratization of the of of the tech allows then a lot more creative freedom for the people who want to create but maybe can't like you said can't afford a hundred thousand dollar camera mm-hmm. so and i'll be def- i'll be the counterweight to this discussion and say that i see i see most of my pictures and videos on my phone right so as long as the quality is great on my phone, 
I don't care if it's Dolby or not, if it's 4K or 8K. Yeah. As long as it looks amazing on my now 12 mini, which is the next topic, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm happy with the camera. As long yeah. as it looks amazing there, I'm happy. Yeah, one nice thing about recording in 4K is you can zoom on your phone and see instantly more detail. Right. Um, now, that's actually a downside, I think, to Apple sticking with 12 megapixel sensors this whole time is you're limited to seeing it on your phone. If you blow it up on your 5K iMac, all of a sudden you start seeing the noise and you start seeing mm -hmm. the pixels mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. forget about printing that out very large. Right. Like you can print it out to a decent size, but if you wanted to do something like larger than life, the iPhone is unfortunately not the tool uh, that's going to capture that level of detail uh, for that instance. But for yeah. almost everything else, it's amazing. Um, now, there have been some size changes to this year's iPhones, um, as Fernando's very excited about. Um, the iPhone 11 Pro became a little bit bigger when it became the iPhone 12 Pro. Just a little bit, just a tiny bit bigger. Just, just a little bit. <laughs> And the iPhone 12 got way smaller, finally coming back to a size that can fit in a hand. Who would have thunk uh, that people would like that? Uh, so, Fernando, what kind of phone are you looking forward to buy? The 12 Pro Max, of course. <laughs> of course. No, I'm kidding. The 6.7 inch <laughs> after that lead up phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, uh, the. I mean, as I was reading, I. As I was reading everything about the 12 mini, like all the all the specs, I there's a bunch of people on Twitter already posting like relative sizing of the mini. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of the mini to all the other phones. I was like, wow, we were like everything we talked about on on our last uh, show was mm -hmm. pretty much spot on. It's not the exact size for the uh, of the SE, uh, the original SE. But it's pretty damn close. Yeah. Like it's really, really close. And it's full screen, touch ID, basically no compromises except on the cameras. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, now I get to if I if I had said again that I would eat my hat whenever iPhone <laughs> <laughs> you see where I'm going, right? But it's like that's amazing. Like that's literally the phone that I've been asking for for a few years. And what's nice is that the the 12, the two 12 models, the regular and the mini, um, they the cameras that they do have, the wide and the ultra wide, are pretty much identical to the ones that are on the pros. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So you get almost all the benefit. The only thing you're not getting is you don't get the telephoto lens. So if that's important to you, you're missing out on that. And then like Dimitri said, you're getting um, Dolby Vision 4K 30 frames per second, not 60. Um, I would assume I guess it wouldn't be because of the processor because it's the same A14. It must be maybe the RAM. We've, I've heard that the pros have six mm -hmm. gigs of RAM and the mm, and the regulars yep. have four. So maybe it's just a RAM constraint, um, but or it's just a way to differentiate, like to further separate them. Um, but mm -hmm. uh, you're getting a pretty amazing phone in a in a pretty small package. The other thing that I noticed about the Mini that's kind of specific to it is that. It's going to run it. It's a so all the phones are OLED now. There's no LCDs anymore, which is nice. Um, the the 12 mini is an OLED screen, 5.4 inches, um, and is going to run at, at a resolution that is the same as the 11 Pro and the 12 and the 12 Pro. Yeah. However, because mm -hmm. it is physically smaller, they're going to do some kind of weird scaling thing with the with the rendering of it. Um, the thinking is that it's going to be such high PPI. Um, that uh, you're not going to notice. You're not going to notice, um, but it mm -hmm. technically is going to be running at like a scaled size, so it's that might be noticeable, but like you know, it might not be. So, but other than that, it seems like basically the, as good as the 12, just smaller. Mm -hmm. So, what device are you going to get, Ben? So, I'm going to get the 12. Um, I, I have an 11 Pro Max right now. I wanted the last time I got a the big phone was the six. Uh, plus, um, back when the six and six plus came out, I decided to go big and got the six plus, and it was fine. I didn't love it; it was a little too big. So then I ended up for the next series of phones went down a size, um, and then when they went, you know, to the full size screen, I wanted to try the bigger screen again. So for the eleven, I got the eleven Pro Max, um, and it's a great phone, but it is physically just bigger than I would prefer, um, and so I'm going to go to the twelve. Um, rather than 12 Pro, and the reason is because uh, it's $300 less, so that's nice. Um, but also, uh, I don't really need the telephoto lens, and I don't really care about the Dolby Vision 60, 4K 60. Um, and 
I really, really, really want the product red phone and I haven't, I haven't <laughs> been able to get one. Well, I should say that's, that's wrong to say. I have not bought the product red models um, that have come out so far, partly because the first time I think they did that, they brought out the model like six months after the original launch of that model phone. And I just didn't wait. Um, and then after that, it was always because they put them on like the less capable version of the iPhone, and I, yeah. you know, I want the good one. Like I want the I want the one that's as good as I can get. So uh, I've been sort of living in like the like the space gray or the silver world. I got the green this time, mostly just because it was literally a different color than the ones that they had already offered, and I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the blue is nice. I like the is it mar- marine or. Pacific, Pacific blue. Pacific Pacific blue. blue I um, I like it. I think it's I think it's nice. Uh, but but man, that product red. I've wanted one for like a couple of cycles, and and I just don't really see any any downside to the twelve over the twelve pro that I care about. Um, and yeah. so it's like I'm gonna get the one that I want. I'm gonna get the. And the other thing too is I'm I've been rocking the eleven pro uh, max without a case for like a, a little over a month, and it's both terrifying and also really cool. <laughs> to not have a case on it. <laughs> and so I'm planning on doing the same thing with the with the 12 because I want to see the red. Because people are like, oh, colors don't matter because you just put a case on it, right? Which, mm-hmm. yes, that's true. Um, Magnetic case now. But I want to see the phone. So I'm going to try and go without. Um, and I heard, and I'm super excited about MagSafe, and I heard that uh, uh, PopSocket is working on a PopSocket version that ha- that it's, it's backing is actually going to work with the MagSafe magnets so that it's not permanent on your phone. Um, and that's really kind of been my complaint about like going no case, but with a pop socket is that it interferes with like charging and putting it in the dock and whatever. But if I can just snap the pop socket off the phone and stick it in the charger or put it on the wireless charge pad, golden. So that's the plan is a, a red 12, hopefully with a pop socket magnetic once that comes out. You see, Apple, you just had to come out with a red iPhone 12 Pro Max, and Ben would have just I gone for that yeah. one instead. But yeah. the, it's like he went for the $300 cheaper one yeah. because you didn't have red you on that. You didn't have one. red. I mean, that's the it's a yeah, <laughs> it's a silly reason to pick, but like you gotta you gotta have a reason, right? So what do you like? Dimitri, honestly, if they yes, what what are you gonna get? What's your what's your model of choice? Well, I should preface that by saying, a couple days ago, you were like, I'm not gonna get a phone, so. <laughs> what's what's changed and what are you gonna get well what's changed is dolby vision recording i am like endlessly fascinated by uh-huh. um and i i always want to get a new phone mostly because of new cameras like right. i always just want to have the newest camera because yeah. my pictures are gonna get older and older and mm-hmm. like crappier and crappier looking throughout the years so right. if i can at least keep up with the times then it won't look so outdated so quickly right. Um, so, uh, that said, I really, really like the small one and I really, really am happy that they don't have any compromises. So what we yeah. decided to do is my wife and I are both going to get, uh, well together, we're going to get a small one, a mini and an 11 pro and we're not 12, decided 12 who pro. is taking, yeah, yeah, 12, sorry, a 12 mini and a 12 pro. Uh, and we're not decided who's going to use which one yet. <laughs> uh, so we're going to like trial it out. Uh, and whoever's happy with whichever one, that's the one we're going to essentially nice. keep for the next uh, year or two. Uh, so I will get the best cameras because my wife is always attached to me in some way. Uh, <laughs> so I can always steal her phone to use the best cameras if she ends up with that one. Nice. Um, or we end up with a small device that we can play around with as developers uh, to see how like that impacts things. Right. Um, but also have like a more sane uh, small phone that you can then go ahead and use. So. Nice. That's what I'm gonna do, probably. That's a, that's like a great plan. I mean, that that gives you, uh, you know, an ability to play with sort of both different, new, interesting parts about the phone, the the cameras and the small size, um, and uh, yeah, there's it sounds like there's very little downside there. Definitely benefits of being married and uh, getting your spouse like really into technology. <laughs> yeah. They <laughs> those yeah. one few times that <laughs> it works so well. Nice. Okay. So we've got a uh, two minis. A, a 12 Pro and a 12 and a Red 12. So now we have to just figure out what Johnny and what Spencer are getting, and then we'll have the whole crew. Yeah, yeah they just need to get every color, right? And then we can have yeah, the whole we, collection. We can have everybody represented. Yep, <laughs> every color and every size. Okay, this episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy to use timer for your Mac. It's completely text based, so you can type in English what you want: 20 minutes or 5 p.m. 
Hit enter and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English text to create, update, and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown and while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store to give it a try. Uh, now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Ben, can you take it away? Sure. For last week's uh, topic or, or challenge, we have a winner. Once again, it's John Bash. John must be watching our Twitter feed and re- waiting to respond because he, he often gets it right. Uh, so John wrote in uh, answer to last week's prompt, uh, it's three steps. Nest this enum within the processing coordinator in an extension or in the original declaration. Step two, name the enum error. And step three, change the error protocol conformance to swift.error, and that will solve the problem. So if you want to see that prompt, take a look in the show notes or look on the screen if you're watching the video version. Um, and for this week's prompt, we've got uh, a struct person that conforms to the custom string convertible protocol. We have a, a name uh, mutable property that defaults to an empty string and an unknown twin mutable property of type optional person. The init is private and does nothing, but there is a static factory method called make twins that returns a tuple of two person objects by instantiating two person objects and assigning them to be each other's twins. Finally, a description computed property prints the name of the receiver's twin using optional chaining and the nil closing operator to handle the nil properly. What sort of crash could you easily could could easily occur with this code? So if you want to take a look at that, look at the uh, channel or sorry the um, the chapter art in the podcast. You're listening to it on a podcast player and on the screen. If you're watching the video. Tweet at us um, with the complete the code hashtag, and if you get it right, we'll shout you out in next week's episode. You're muted, Dimitri. And you don't have to uh, wait for us to tweet using uh, to tweet the prompt on Twitter and then reply to that. You can totally jump the gun using the complete the code hashtag uh, and get that answer faster than John uh, next time. Yeah. Uh, that said, uh, we were talking a bit uh, and we decided that uh, we would go through all the winners for all the complete the codes throughout the year and pick one of them via like some sort of. Uh, raffle uh, to join us as a fellow completionist to go through an episode and talk about topics and things like that. So not at all an interview, just a guest completionist uh, to join us and have fun. Uh, so if you want to participate in that, be sure to try to win at least one code completion, uh, complete the code. Uh, that way we can uh, have your name in the hypothetical hat that Fernando will eat. Um <laughs> So with all that out of the way, it's time for a compiler error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionists' uh, knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. Uh, so I actually have a theme uh, today, um, and that theme is first-party open-source Swift projects. So these are Swift projects that Apple has um, that are part of the Swift uh, server working group and other parts of Swift that are not part of the standard library. Uh, so let's go through them. Uh, number one, just introduced this month, Swift Algorithms is a new package that makes complex sequence and collection algorithm implementations available, which wouldn't otherwise fit in with the standard library. So number two, a foundational library to make many server-side Swift initiatives. Swift Neo exposes high-level building blocks for interacting with non-blocking I.O., such as files, streams, and datagrams. Number three, Built on top of Swift Neo, Swift Metrics is a package primarily intended for web analytics that makes it easy to collect data from your server application in a privacy-conscious way. And number four, re-implementing much of the functionality URL session provides, Async HTTP Client is a high-performance HTTP client for Swift, actively maintained by the Swift Server Work Group. So, Fernando, uh, why don't you go first? Hmm. These are interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know they did just introduce Swift algorithms. Uh, I just saw the, the news in passing. I didn't dive deep into it, so I don't know if that's true or not. Like, it may be that it makes simple sequences 
<laughs> and collection <laughs> algorithms. You've played this game before. <laughs> exactly. Uh, uh, Swift NIO, Neo. I don't even know how to pronounce it. I've seen it a Believe lot. Neo. Yeah, I don't think that. I think that one's the the my my spider sense is tingling when I look at number two because it exposes high level building blocks. I don't think they're high level building blocks. I think they're low level building blocks that should be used to build high level web applications. And Dimitri, Dimitri's poker face is not telling me anything. <laughs> That's pretty good, Dimitri. <laughs> That's just the stream uh, pausing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so metrics, I think I've heard of it. I think it makes sense. And re-implementing URL session absolutely makes sense because you want uh, Swift to have a version of HTTP that's available to other platforms like Linux and Windows, and URL session is not. Um, I should clarify URL session is part of the foundation framework, which is available on all Swift platforms. Interesting. Why are you doing that? <laughs> yeah, why, why are you cheating <laughs> giving something away? <laughs> Still, I, I think that makes sense for reasons I will not say here. <laughs> so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna go with number two. Uh, I don't number think two. it's high level building blocks. Yeah. All right. Okay, so ben? I was pretty heavily leaning towards four only because I hadn't heard of it yet. It makes sense, but I also feel like it's something that that Dimitri could have made up that sounds reasonable, but just hasn't. You know, that might happen in the future, but hasn't happened yet. Um, I did hear about Swift algorithms. That first one sounds reasonable. Swiftio, I also have heard about. Um, I've not heard of Swift metrics, but again, those were the two that I was kind of like, eh, I don't know. They could be either one of them could be made up. But once Fernando Leda had his case for the for Swiftio, uh, for it not being wrong that it exists, but being wrong that the way that it is described as a high level building block is inappropriate, that it really should be for lower level stuff, and is kind of used as a basis to build higher level uh, libraries on top of. Um, I think that sounds right to me because when I, I have done literally no research into any of these things, but, <laughs> but, when, but when I heard about Swiftio, what I heard from everyone was like, oh, this is going to enable uh, things like, for example, um, uh, redoing some stuff in Vapor to make the networking yep. that happens in yep. Vapor easier, being lower level and, you know, using it as a building block. Um, so... I feel like I'm pretty swayed by Fernando's argument, and I'm just going to go with two. <laughs> so we're either both right or we're both wrong. <laughs> yes. Will it be a sweep? Solidarity. In direction? <laughs> okay, so uh, this would have been a perfect one for Spencer to join. Too bad he couldn't join yeah. us this week. Oh, yeah. Because he would have known probably one or two of these uh, off the top of his head. Uh, but let's go ahead and uh, pick the ones, go through the ones that you all agree with. Uh, so let's start with number one. You intro just introduced this month, Swift Algorithms is indeed a package that makes complex sequencing collection algorithm implementations mm -hmm. available, which wouldn't otherwise fit in with the standard library. So uh, they specifically said these are extra algorithms that don't necessarily are not super common, but if you need to use them, here is a high performance implementation that does everything right. So you don't need to think about that uh, in the classic Apple uh, fashion. That said, the methods are geared towards the algorithm themselves rather than the result of the algorithm. So um, there is that. There is also a Swift Algorithms Club. I believe I'm getting that right, uh, which is a project Ray Wendelich. Mm -hmm. Ray Wendelich. Uh, mm -hmm. How do you say his name? I don't know. Um, uh, leave us a comment down below uh, with how you say his <laughs> name. Um, so he has a, a repo that has tons of Swift algorithms, uh, or algorithms implemented in Swift. So if you are studying up for, uh, an interview at a company that uses outdated practices, that is definitely a resource, uh, to go check out. Uh, but more importantly, if you're actually trying to solve a problem, don't reinvent an algorithm that already exists. Go look up to see if there is one and then check that repo to see if there is, uh, an implementation that works for you. Uh, so let's go to number four, re-implemented... Uh, Re-implementing much of the functionality URL session provides, async HTTP client is a high-performance HTTP client uh, for Swift. Um, and now I find it kind of interesting that it re-implements URL session for the most part, and it does so with a different API. Now, why do you think that might be? Why would they want thing. to re-implement it? Well, you could just use URL session on the server side, right? Mm. 
so the reason RV. why <laughs> so the reason is because it's built on top of swift neo as is most as are most ah, other uh, swift server specific sense. things so it's all integrated using the same resources that are available um and you don't like allocate extra threads just for uh dispatch queue and things like that um so that's the real that reason swift neo exists is because it implements uh, essentially event loops per thread um, in a very similar way, but different than dispatch queue, which does not have the same level of priorities as uh, Mac OS does uh, on Linux because it's not implemented by the kernel. It's implemented as a user-facing library. Um, so in order to squeeze out all the performance, it goes and re-implements all those things. Uh, and we'll return to that one. Uh, so that makes number four true. Uh, async HP client is totally a thing. Um, and it's actively maintained, and I contributed to it uh, because I needed nice. some functionality, uh, and it was not there. So if you need an open source project to contribute to, these are all perfect. They are all in the infancy stage. They are all small. They are all well-maintained and well-documented. So um, go ahead and jump in if you want to jump into something. Now, there that leaves us with two and three. Uh, let's start with number two. Uh, so a foundational library to make server-side Swift initiatives. Swift Neo exposes a high-level building block, high-level building blocks for interacting with non-blocking I/O such as files, streams, and datagrams. So Fernando, since you mentioned that uh, Neo would not be a high-level uh, set of building blocks, but low-level building blocks, what would high-level building blocks for interacting with streams and datagrams look like to you? That's a good question. Um... I don't know. Uh, what I do know, like that, the, the reason I thought about low level is because Swift is starting from the, like from, from the very bottom. So, and, and the server is in a weird spot where they sort of like, they're ahead in some places and they're like, on, again, on step zero and some other places. So I don't know. Slow, low level to me means something like, Literally, like, blocking at the file level system. And then high level means, like, copying files, things like that. So building on top of the actual blocking low-level streams. Okay. Am I, what am I? So Tell me I, I, see, I see where you're getting at. That said, uh, Swift Neo definitely has some very nice APIs for dealing asynchronously with file I.O. streams and datagrams. Um, and I would personally, like, if you ever interact with those low level, like the actual low level C APIs, I would say that's horrendously low level. Um, whereas Swift Neo is like a walk in the park in terms of giving you all the tools that you need to do that properly. So I would consider that high level just from that point of view. That said, uh, if you do use Vapor, you interact with Neo quite a bit. You use features and promises, and those are all features that are exposed through Vapor. Vapor is just going and using the channel and bootstrap that Neo provides, but that's all it's using. Like Vapor's implementation of actually getting an HTTP server running is quite simple uh, in the grand scheme of things. And that's because Neo is a fairly high level uh, framework that just lets you run an HTTP2 server. Um, it has all the building blocks for that. Um, so that means that one is a code completion, unfortunately. Sorry, Ben, for going with the flow there. <laughs> So we're losing because of a difference of opinion of what the word high level means. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what I was going to say. I, I, I will, I don't know, I, I'll raise hell on Twitter because <laughs> the official repo has low-level protocol implementations and high-level implementations. And the low-level implementations are just like you say, where like another layer exposes Swift Neo, Swift Neo's implementation, mm -hmm. And then the high-level implementations are where they don't expose. So I would feel better if we called this a draw. Okay. <laughs> that said, you both failed miserably to snuff out number three. Yeah. Um, so built on top of Swift Neo, Swift Metrics, uh, number one, is not on, at all built on top of Swift Neo. Uh, uh, and number two, it's not at all a uh, library intended for web analytics. Uh, it is meant for counting. Um, uh, and to, to provide a signal that your server is essentially still live uh, and to get very basic uh, metrics uh, regarding how your uh, process is doing. So uh, although I guess you could 
deeply contrive that to make web analytics work. Uh, <laughs> you would be doing a lot of contriving to get that uh, just the way you want it, and it's not at all the package for that. But it's it's um, server health, yeah, it right? It's not it's not how yeah, does your website definitely. perform as far as clicks and whatever? It's like is your server alive, right? That's that's what it's doing exactly. <laughs> okay. So it and it's primarily there as a interface to plug into other backends that would actually report that in some way. So it's just an API uh, surface uh, for the most part. So it doesn't even import Neo um, as a dependency or anything like that. Uh, so that one was totally utterly wrong. So Man, if I guess you get ten percent. Somebody would have won this. <laughs> <laughs> what I really like about number three is that you mixed up Apple and Swift. Because I was like, oh, of course they would do something to collect analytics in a privacy-conscious way. <laughs> Apple would. Swift doesn't care about it, <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. So I, I really like that. really, really like that. That said, these are all first-party uh, open-source projects. So these are all owned and maintained by Apple. Mm. That's why they include mm. something like Vapor. Uh, which is not maintained by Apple, though it is part of the Swift Server Workgroup, which is a mm -hmm. separate, independent thing, which Vapor is a member of. Uh, so that said, that's all we have for compiler error uh, today. Uh, so as always, I wanted to personally thank everyone uh, for listening in this week. Uh, as you notice, this is two weeks in a row where we are not live. Uh, we are trying out different software, and it is making our lives uh, a ton easier. So if you miss us being live, uh, let us know on Twitter. Uh, and we'll see what we can do. Uh, but if no one misses it uh, in particular, then we will uh, continue experimenting and see what kind of works best for us going forward. Uh, so uh, once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at uh, from junior to senior. That's F R O M J R T O S R on Twitter, and Ben, who is at Ferris Guy. That's F E R R O U S G U Y for joining me this week. And my name once again is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol. D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. See ya. Bye.